1: file we created on his wife.
2: Mrs. Roosevelt.
1: Will you make a copy
2: for me, please? Is that legal? Sometimes you need to bend the rules a little in order to keep your country safe. Please leave the transcripts here with me. Feel free and share them with your brother, Mr. Kennedy. Let him know that I have a copy of my own.
0: The president is afraid. All the admiration in the world can't fill the spot where love goes. We are the sinners Edgar. We tolerated lawlessness in the land until it grew to diabolical proportions.
1: The blood is on your
0: hands,
1: Edgar. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast having a breakdown in the sensible separate section at Saks. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy... I am your host, Chris Vile, and I am here as always, melting in my old age makeup with my
2: co-host, Joe Reed. I like the way you said autopsy there. Autopsy! I was trying
1: to like fade into some weird (laughs) old sport dialect.
2: Sure, I get it. That
1: Leonardo DiCaprio definitely thinks he's great at.
2: I don't know what his accent is in this, but it's quite interesting and I'm sure painstakingly arrived at. Yeah painstakingly All I kept... for
1: us in particular
2: every time I say the title of this movie I, I dip into um, Siobhan Fallon from Men in Black and just go Egger <laughs> talk about Jay Egger he wearing an Egger suit but I'll tell you something right now I know Egger and that was an Egger it's like something that's wearing Egger
1: like a like a suit an Egger suit how brutal for you to bring up a uh, best makeup winning movie <laughs>
2: in the wake of this in movie. In the wake of
1: this movie. <sighs> yeah. Yikes. Holy smokes. If it is not clear to you, uh, listeners, we are talking about Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar. the biopic on J. Edgar Hoover, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, shot entirely in the dark, but with like silver yes. tones.
2: Yes. It's shot in the Ooh. reflection of, like, a pewter vase or something like yeah. that. from yeah, someone's yeah, yeah.
1: House. It Like, they took, like, a pewter coin and reflected the moonlight off of it right. and, like, it's the... onto the actor's face. And that's the only, like, light that Tom Stern, the DP, uses in this movie.
2: It's weirdly, like, the scene from, like, a cutscene from a Batman movie with Harvey Two-Face where he's, like, flipping a coin. And, like, in the reflected <laughs> light off of that coin is the entirety of Jay Edgar. All 140 minutes of it. It's like Contact, where they're like, what interests us isn't that the coin flipped and had a reflection. What interests us is that it recorded on two hours and 20 minutes (laughs) of film during that time. (laughs) And James James Woods just goes, that is interesting, and then sinisterly looks away. We're, uh, we'll get into all of it. Can we like, talk we'll about talk
1: contact. About, yes, this is a contact podcast now. We, Jeez. We're, we're burning down J Edgar just so we can talk about contact, a movie Truth. we can't talk about because it was a visual effects nominee. Um, right,
2: right. Good for. I mean, contact should have been a lot more nominee, and maybe we'll once again in our now long rumored series on uh, exceptions, which is now stretched to like two hundred movies. Yeah.
1: We're just going to have to pick and choose very uh, wisely, I suppose, like what that will be. But anyway, we are here to talk about J. Edgar. Before we get into it, because there's a lot to talk about with this movie. I'm sure we'll talk about makeup. We'll talk about Leonardo DiCaprio and the whole why doesn't Leonardo DiCaprio have an Oscar? Like one of the most like what feels like begrudged Oscar campaigns of all time. Like yeah, or like at least of our recent. Lifetime, and, like, he has the new Tarantino movie coming out, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood opening this week, and, like, I will be very interested to see what type of reception he specifically gets for it, because, like, we'd recently talked about Al Pacino, who, like, had his long, you know, trajectory to Oscar, obviously much longer than DiCaprio's, but, right. like, hasn't been nominated since, and I probably envision a fate similar for Leonardo DiCaprio. But we will get into it. First, we have some business to attend
2: to. Yes. Um, a few weeks ago, I can't remember what was the episode that we were talking about it. but we It were... was
1: Frank and G- Frankie and Johnny. Same episode. Okay.
2: During the Frankie and Johnny episode, we mentioned Avengers Endgame and that I had tallied up eight Oscar winners in that movie. And I sort of put the call out to our listeners to see if they could find a film that tops that. We got a lot of responses. We love hearing back from you on Twitter. So thank you very much. Um, a lot of responses a lot of people mentioned the player Robert Altman's The Player just from 1992 which I sort of my knee jerk reaction was just like no it's all cameos and I was like wait a second I can't say that for Endgame because like Endgame (laughs) is the ultimate like it's all cameos and half of the Oscar winners on that list came from cameos but I do feel like including
1: William Hurt who's in 30 seconds of the movie.
2: William Hurt who's in 30 seconds um, yeah like Michael Douglas who barely registers like yeah so, anyway, but I do feel like the the player always tends to be, like, the exception to all of these. There's, like, so many things where are just like, ah, but remember the player. And, yes, true. I think the difference with the player and the cameos in the player, because the player ends up having, what did I say, 10, 11, 12, 13? I had counted at least mm-hmm. 13 Oscar winners, including Cher, Sidney Pollock, Whoopi Goldberg, and Tim Robbins, who I think are both in, are exceptions to that, which, like, they're playing actual characters. But, like... All these other ones are cameos as themselves. Cher, Sidney Pollock, James Coburn, Louise Fletcher, Oscar winner for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Joel Grey, who won for Cabaret, Angelica Houston, Jack Lemmon, who's a two-time Oscar winner, Marley Matlin, who won uh, for Children of a Lesser God, Julia Roberts, of course, didn't win an Oscar till well after The Player, but still. Susan Sarandon, who won an Oscar after The Player for uh, Dead Men Walking, Rod Steiger, who won Best Actor for In the Heat of the Night, the thing about the player and all those people sort of cameoing themselves, I think I said this to you, Chris, when we were texting about this, where I was like, they just had to, like, show show up with a camera at Spago's, and they got, like, every, (laughs) every, you know, nominee, it was just, like, there was some sort of, like, you know, movie opening or whatever, and they just... God gather everybody together. And I do feel like there's always an asterisk after the player, because at least even in Endgame, they gathered all these people together. And I mean, together is such a, you know, scare quotes word anyway, because everybody's on green screen. But these are all people who they had cast in various movies as actual characters, and they have played actual characters. So I feel like there is something slightly different. So I feel like the player, like, yes, we hear you. The player, definitely. But, like, we're going to put that on a little bit of a shelf and just, like, that's a little separate in terms of. It's like when you look on somebody's IMDb and it's just like, oh, the movies they made together and, like, half of them are, like, the 1998 Golden Globe Awards. And it's like, okay, well, that's not a real. It's not a credit. They were there, yeah, they were yeah, in the yeah, same room yeah. together. Um, It sort of feels that way. It's just like half of the player was filmed inside the Beverly Hilton. It's like, we get it. Um, But another example that somebody brought up which does seem to count. We were sort of, I was trying to figure out ways that it wouldn't count because I'm a bitch that way. Um, Hamlet. 1996 is Hamlet, the Kenneth Branagh-directed film, which as we were going through, Chris and I were trying to figure this out. There's one Oscar winner, John Mills, who I don't Remember, I don't like know as a person, but he won a supporting actor a supporting actor Oscar in 1971. Although if IMDb says it's 71, that means it was the 1970 Academy Awards for a movie called Ryan's Daughter. And otherwise, it's a David Julie- Lean movie. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yes. I should know better. I'm a dum-dum. We also kind of wanted to refuse to admit that Charlton Heston had won a competitive Oscar, although he did win for Ben-Hur. He also won a Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award, if you want to wait and stop laughing and maybe unpause the podcast. Burn it down. Burn it down. Jesus Christ. That's like, I'm I'm working on this other article that... um, I'll mention later, but part of it was going through Emmys history, and the one year at the Emmys, they gave the Bob Hope Humanitarian Award to Bill Cosby. No, thank you. And this was, like, well after the point where people, somebody in the industry should have been like, hey, maybe not because history, but no. So anyway, Hamlet, 1996, starred Julie Christie, Academy Award winner for Darling, Kate Winslet, who would win later for The Reader, Robin Williams, who would win later for Good Will Hunting, Jack Lemmon, once again, because Jack Lemmon loves to show up, or at least he did when he was alive, may he rest. Richard Attenborough, who won a... Yes, love Jack Lemmon. Richard Attenborough, who was the Best Director winner, who some people on Twitter were like, Best Director winner shouldn't count, and I say... Screw off. Yes, they should. Um, <laughs> Richard Attenborough and, and Robert Redford, if it makes you feel better, they cancel each other out, because they're both uh, Best Director winners. But I say Attenborough counts. Judy Dench, who won an Oscar later on for Shakespeare in Love, just a couple years after Hamlet, actually. Sir John Gielgud, who had won for Arthur, which, wild that there's an Academy Award winner for Arthur, because... I remember Arthur when I was like a kid in the '80s, and it was just like this dumb movie that showed up on cable every once in a while about this old drunk. And I was like, "It's wild that was an Oscar winner from the same decade that Don Ameche was an Oscar winner for Cocoon." So, like, we get it. Y'all liked, you know, Cocoon, likable old people. Um, John Mills, who we mentioned, and then Charlton Heston, who we mentioned. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So as in the only. <laughs> Only one area in which Hamlet is better than Avengers Endgame and it's this, that it has (laughs) more Academy Award winners. So congratulations Hamlet, you win this one time. Anything else we want to say?
1: Regarding Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet or movies that have more Oscars? I I will be curious, like, 20 years down the line, how many actors in Endgame will ultimately have won Oscars? Well
2: that's the other thing, is Endgame still holds the point of prestige in that it's eight Academy Award winners who were already Academy Award winners by Yeah, the like, time they were in this movie. Hamlet doesn't have Hamlet's that. Hamlet's not going to get more people winning Oscars, probably. Right, right, exactly. So, I'll, yeah, so wait, so who in the Endgame cast is most likely to win an Oscar going forward?
1: Oh, boy. I mean, some of those comedic actors, I feel like, could have a shot, like... I wonder if, I mean, maybe this is crazy, but like even I think like Chris Hemsworth could get a nomination at some point. I I I think, I think Scarlett Johansson could very likely be potentially a nominee this year. She's got two movies coming. Well,
2: not if she keeps mentioning how actors should be able to play whatever tree they want to play. Did Uh, you see that quote yesterday?
1: I, I thought it was fake. For a long time and I was like, people are still doing this joke. And then I saw the quote. Um, no, she's she's problematic and she I just want to be like, just just don't talk. Don't talk sometimes.
2: She like, should really, really not say anything. Not she really speak. puts her foot in her mouth a lot. And I like Scarlett Johansson as an actress, but yeah.
1: I mean Mark Ruffalo is probably a future Oscar winner at some point. Ruffalo
2: at this point has been nominated three times, four times. What is it? Kids are all right. Uh, I think Foxcatcher. Twice. No, kids are all right. Foxcatcher spotlight. Oh, I always forget
1: about that spotlight nomination because he's my least favorite in that cast. But we love Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll three
2: nominations. I there. think Ruffalo is a very good option. I think I would bet on Youth here in that I would throw some money on Tom Holland that in his long career that he has ahead of him. I'd absolutely throw money
1: on um, Tessa Thompson. I
2: was just about to say Tom Holland and Tessa Thompson are my two like youthful picks that like yeah. I, you know, in a a very good and just world. And also, I will say, Robert Downey Jr. is a prime candidate to be, like, a 70-something Best Supporting Actor winner. I would also like to throw out
1: uh, someone who I find it absolutely insane. They only have one nomination. Granted, that is one of my favorite performances of all time. Angela Bassett needs an Oscar.
2: Yeah. Although Angela Bassett is not an endgame. Right? Uh, No, she is. Oh, she does. She shows up. There's... No, it's Lupita, who's not in Endgame. That's yes. right. That's right. She's the one, like, Wakanda contingent, and she would have bumped that uh, Oscar number up to nine, as would have, I think we mentioned on the last one, Jennifer Connelly had Tom Holland's Spidey suit said anything, which it did not, as I should right. mention. It also did not in um, Far From Home, which he doesn't have the big Mecca Spidey suit for very much in that movie, which was, I thought, a good narrative choice.
1: And there's also people in the MCU that are in Endgame that it's like they're at least conceivable of eventually having one, like Benedict Cumberbatch. Exactly, Hiddleston. Benedict Cumberbatch is a good
2: one. Hiddleston's a good one. Although Hiddleston's not in. Oh yeah, he is because the flashbacks. Yeah. Um, Paul Rudd, I think is you know you never know with Paul. Josh Rudd Brolin. If... Yes. Yeah. Brolin's one who's been nominated before. Sam Jackson. So, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. How high? What if this high movie eventually climb? has like twenty five Oscar? I'm like, it's not inconceivable, is what I will say. I want it to be like I want Pfeiffer to win one for a billion reasons, but I want that also so that Endgame can up its Oscar winner count for somebody who doesn't say anything <laughs> in that entire movie, <laughs> where like she barely moves, she like barely exists in that movie, and yet like while well, she's there, she's just in Her... the funeral, right? No, she's she's in the no, big she's just in the. Fu- is she? She's sort of like flying around, right? But I think she's. I don't like think she's
1: in that shot that they have all of the female heroes. She's together. not. But I think so. She's I don't in... think she's in the battle.
2: She's in, but I think they show her like masked and maybe flying around. Maybe that's just uh, Evangeline Lily. Anyway, Michelle Pfeiffer and Ty Simpkins are going to win Oscars in the same year, and it's going to be like, ba-boom, Avengers Endgame. Is what I'm going to say. Anyway, he also doesn't say anything. Is what I'm saying. Anyway. Uh, Edgar.
1: Anyway, we are here to talk, talk about, about the Thanos of the 2011 uh, Oscar race who was <laughs> defeated for his, like, bulky, like, destruction upon everything. This movie is terrible. Um, We'll get into it. It is. Once again, we're here for Jay Edgar, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black. We'll Um, talk about that. We definitely will. Um, The cast is headed by, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio, but also Naomi Watts, Judy Dench, Army Hammer, but then there's, like, a million people who have just one scene. Like, Jessica Hecht as uh, Emma Goldman. Emma Goldman. I loved um, seeing
2: her show up. I was like, oh, Jessica Hecht, I want more for you, but still the Best nice. performance in the movie. Um, yeah. But then you
1: have like. Noted creeper, that guy. Uh, Josh Lucas is in it. Uh, oh, I thought you
2: were gonna say noted creeper, that guy Ed Westwick from from Gossip Girl.
1: Okay, so I Ed Westwick, I had to look up his name because like, are there any like successful men from Gossip Girl? He's a Gossip Girl person, right? He's a Gossip Girl.
2: It's him, and it's Chase Crawford, and it's Penn Badgley is the most successful. Listen, on they that...
1: didn't call it Gossip Boy for a reason. <laughs> but he was,
2: he was the gossip. Girl, as it turns out. Um well, yeah, well, I mean, successful. Leighton meester ended up marrying Adam Brody, so that's success in my book. And yeah. Blake Lively is, of course, an Academy Award nominee for um uh shit, what's that movie? I just fucked up my own. A joke. simple favor. A simple favor. I almost said a perfect getaway, and I was like, no, but also kind of, yes, that movie could have been called a perfect getaway. A perfect getaway is a great movie. Yeah, you're right though. This cast has Stephen Root shows up. Adam Driver's first ever film performance is in mm-hmm. this movie, which I think is a great little footnote. He shows up as like a gas station attendant and it's Yeah, he
1: literally pumping gas in this movie. In
2: the most like I'm going to make the most out of this cameo. Not it's not a cameo if you're not famous yet, but like I'm going to make the most out of this one scene role by like laying on this Bronx accent so thick. It's Leah Thompson shows up and makes a
1: big deal about trying to dance with Edgar at Um, playing.
2: She's playing ginger Rogers' mother. Did you catch that in that scene?
1: I did not catch that. I I only,
2: I only learned that reading the Wikipedia description of the plot that, yeah, apparently her daughter in that movie, in that scene is supposed to be ginger Rogers and her friend, the daughter's friend Uh. is supposed to be Anita Colby. And yeah. And Leah Thompson plays ginger Rogers' mother. Who's trying to like, get her daughter married off to this great eligible bachelor Jay Edgar Hoover but also wants to like dance and sex up Jay Edgar Hoover at the same moment it's wild hot Um, so yeah, yeah, Jay
1: Edgar, um, before we like actually dive into the movie, Joe, would you like to give our listeners a 60 second plot description?
2: Yes. With the caveat that I'm gonna fuck this up and I'm going to get cut off like halfway through his career. I'm just going to let you know. That's totally fine. Uh, I
1: mean, yes, let's, let's get into it. Are you ready?
2: Yes, I suppose I am.
1: All right, your 60-second plot description starts now.
2: Yeah, so somewhere in between Making Hereafter and Jersey Boys, Clint Eastwood decides to make a movie about J. Edgar Hoover, and it starts off with Leonardo DiCaprio playing Hoover, um, sort of young Justice Department guy, wants to clean up the, the bureau, and he ultimately starts going after... Um, communists in the wake of like the Bolshevik Revolution before even World War II and the Red Scare. He ends up getting Emma Goldman deported and that ends up getting him promoted to uh, whatever chief of the FBI and he institutes things like fingerprint analysis and forensic analysis and like does some like actual technical improvements but he's also a glory hog who tries to get himself in front of the cameras as much as possible the Lindbergh baby kidnapping is like a big huge deal and he spends a lot of this movie trying to capture the guy who kidnapped the Lindbergh baby and he ends up Convicting him and getting him executed, and Ten sort of seconds. burnishing his re- reputation. He also goes after Martin Luther King and threatens him with exposing his affairs to get him to decline the Nobel Peace Prize. That doesn't work. He also falls in love with Army Hammer, which who wouldn't? Time. Oh, I didn't even get into Judy Dench and her terrible you didn't American even get accent.
1: Into her, Judy Dench as his homophobic mother. I know. Didn't Naomi Watts Leo is his loyal. In
2: right. Uh, well, they the movie I think intentionally sort of like. Downplays that because it's like that's the what's the one thing you ever hear about J. Edgar Hoover is that he wore dresses, and I think one of the things that I do appreciate about the movie, and this is probably like Dustin Lance Black, um, is that the movie decidedly doesn't make the dress wearing into this sort of like centralized psychosis of yeah, J. Edgar it Hoover's is personality.
1: Like a footnote: It's cr- it's it's the as footnote that hell, it should be. Yes, but it's, but but it's as it footnote. should be.
2: Yeah. Um, it, what it does with the you know. The relationship with him and the the Army Hammer character, which is sort of, like, all plausible deniability, which, like, that's probably what they have to work with from history. But also, you don't necessarily, like, you can make a movie about J. Edgar Hoover and speculate as to what his relationship with this man was. You don't even ever get, I don't even feel like I get a sense, yes or no, whether they ever slept together, even though I imagine they did, but... And, like, just from, like, the history of it, just, like, I'm sure that they did. But the movie really leaves you with this impression of, like, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe they just lived together in, like, repressed frustration for their entire lives. And, like, there's, you know, you could believe that from a reading of the movie, too, just from, like, watching the way DiCaprio plays Hoover. I I don't like this movie, but I don't feel like that's the reason why. I sort of, I remember sort of cringingly, anticipating this movie and being like this is gonna be like bad on a gay level. And I don't think it is. I think it's. It bad could be on. a lot
1: worse.
2: I mean, if anything,
1: it's more so that it's kind of laughable because when it actually comes in, it's like you're laughing at the makeup, particularly on Audrey yeah. Hammer, and then like the dress scene. It's fully like a muumuu with like some like hippie lady beads, kind of like wooden beads necklace. If I'm remembering correctly, but by that and it's point, just, the like, movie's almost... already the movie has lobotomized you by this point. Yeah, so it's the movie's like nearly is over by that fully, point. Yeah, it's hard not to laugh at it.
2: The other thing is, so there's a there's a framing structure in this movie, which is old Hoover, who looks like one of the characters. Remember that movie, Nothing But Trouble, with Dan Aykroyd. Yes, Ackroyd of course I remember. Nothing he looks but like trouble. Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble in these in these older man scenes. His forehead. Army
1: Hammer looks like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. <laughs>
2: Sorry. That's going to really blast out our levels, but I don't care. That's. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. does. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's like... forehead is so big that you could project an old black and white movie on it. But everybody right. on it would look so liver spotted and awful that you wouldn't want to. <laughs> but like, It would
1: look like it's a like a decrepit 35 millimeter print because the liver spots are uh, like this, like very pronounced makeup. Oh.
2: It would look like you're looking into like a, a microscope of like a virus and watching it sort of like dart around and whatever, and like that is what it Let's looks like. Let's talk
1: about this. You brought up this framing device, and I want to come back to that though, because yeah. like the makeup specifically makes the movie narratively confusing. Because it's like you have these like weird flashpoints that it's like you're seeing old Hoover and old older hoover right. and younger hoover and there's makeup in all of it and like in all is of it very difficult to tell at what period you are watching this movie because
2: agreed. of the makeup agreed yes it's because even young hoover has this like weird like hair type yeah. thing and also just like his upper lip feels like it's like stuffed or something? I don't understand what's going on. It's probably just an acting choice. <laughs> Maybe. But, like, and I don't think, I don't know, do you think DiCaprio is bad in this, or do you think DiCaprio yes. is hamstrung in this? You think he's bad? I think he's bad. Okay, go into that. Um, I mean,
1: even the more, like, where the movie's trying to go into the nuance type of things, rather than, like, he's just this, like, paranoid bulldog. and Like, he's not very good. It's very much like a reach. I think he paints himself into a corner with this like grand characterization, like with the voice and the
2: posture, the stuttering, the sort of yes. It is supposed very to, much the thing about Hoover is that he supposedly spoke very, very fast. That was apparently a thing about Hoover and DiCaprio. It feels like DiCaprio was sort of like reading a biography of Hoover and like underlined all these little like things that could indicate acting choices, mm-hmm. and and he really, really latched onto this speaking very fast thing.
1: I think those of us who find who don't love DiCaprio and who find him to be a more mannered performer like this pro- performance feels like the poster child for that, where it's yeah. like he is just making the choice and he is making this big choice and it is capital A acting and it is great because of that. And like, I don't know, like I did feel a little bit bad for him like in this movie in ways that I haven't in other ones that I felt like he was going big in ways that were just pulling me out of the movie. But this one feels like an earnest attempt to do that. And like Mm -hmm. just a failure. And maybe it's just the arc of the movie, how like as frustrating as it is that this movie wants me to feel sympathy for J Edgar Hoover. Right. You end up feeling a little sympathy for the actor failing at what (laughs) he's doing. In my opinion, like I I I would understand an argument saying that he is good in this movie. I just think he's very bad. (laughs)
2: I, a lot of the reviews, even the reviews that didn't like the movie, ended up praising DiCaprio. And we'll talk about in a little bit how close he actually came to getting an Oscar nomination for this movie. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think I think the end result is a disaster. I don't know how much of that I place on him, how much of that I place on Eastwood's, frankly, indifference to almost everything that happens in this movie, I feel like uh-huh. uh, most of this movie feels like it was. I think once the decisions were made about like filters and makeup choices, I think Eastwood, as is his sort of reputation as a director, was just like, all right, do it. And like Dustin Lance Black even talked about afterwards about how he, as a screenwriter, which I think sort of like exposes Dustin Lance Black a little bit as a screenwriter, but maybe I'm also thinking that because of my opinion of his work, post-Milk. Mm-hmm. But, like, Dustin Lance Black talked about how he, he likes sort of wrangling with the director over his script after he writes it as, like, part of the process to sort of, like, he writes the script and then he and the director in the process of sort of making the movie bring the script to its sort of fullest potential. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Eastwood just shoots the script, which... Yeah. Was... He has a
1: reputation for shooting very quickly, not doing a lot of takes, and it's just, like, you know, moving on and not really giving a whole lot to his actors. Right. Um, and, like, it reads to be sometimes as a laziness or just, like, a willingness to not, like, focus yeah. on themes or, like, developing, like, tone.
2: We're bringing out sort of interesting things from the performances. It's wild to me that he's gotten as many acting nominations for his cast as he has. It's because all of the best people show up for him. Well, I think that's actually true. But there's a scene very early in this movie with Josh Hamilton, speaking of like everybody's in this movie. So Josh Hamilton shows up, as he often does in these movies with big casts, and he delivers this like semi-monologue about this is during old, old Hoover, right? This is when old, old Hoover is dictating his memoirs. I'm pretty sure.
1: <laughs> uh, old Hoover, Hoover, old, old Hoover, melting Hoover. <laughs> Whenever you want to say that it happened, I will believe you.
2: So, well, I'm just trying to figure out like what this, because it's yeah, Hamilton's character is sort of like lecturing Hoover about how the, the sort of like, un, the, how unchecked fame can lead to villainy. And he sort of like I think he says villainy like outright, um, and it just felt very writerly and very awkward and very sort of ham fisted, and I was like, this is terrible writing. And I go, who wrote this movie? And I go to look it up, and it was Dustin Lance Black. It was just like, and I think like out loud, I was just like, ugh. So <laughs> even if it's
1: like you know just ham fisted, like that's the type of like monologue that like underscores what the movie is going for. That like if it's well directed or like you know. The way I don't know, and like, but but Eastwood it made me is think just of, going for the surface of all of this movie. Well, it made so it's like of that's that what made me think of that quote? Worse.
2: That quote from Dustin Lance Black though came back, and I was like, oh, maybe he like writes these sort of like broadside, like thematic texts in his scripts, and like with the expectation that he that the director's going to be like, no fucking way, and like we're going to have to sand this down. But
1: or, yeah, like you get you develop nuance underneath the grand statement you're doing. Yeah. Eastwood doesn't do that as a director. He just does no.
2: So apparently from what I from what little sort of research I did, Dustin Lance Black had found out that Imagine Entertainment was interested in doing a project on J. Edgar Hoover, and he had sort of sparked a little bit of interest in Hoover through making Milk and sort of researching about the civil rights battles sort of of that era, and Pitched Imagine Entertainment on his essentially take on J. Edgar Hoover, and Brian Grazer went for it, and then they sort of hooked it the project up with Clint Eastwood. And it's I feel like I I feel a lot of Dustin Lance Black in this movie whenever it does talk about um J. Edgar's Sort of life, especially like all the stuff with Judy Dench and his mom. There's this whole speech that she gives when he, after the disastrous sort of uh, dinner dinner dance with Ginger Rogers and her mother in the whole Leah Thompson scene, where Hoover sort of freaks out and leaves, and sort of leaves with um, with Army Hammer. And then he goes home, and he essentially tells his mom, "Like I don't like to dance with women, and it's it's timing that you knew it." And she tells this like very cold blooded story about this young boy who they knew grew, growing up, who everybody in town knew was like a fag, and they called him Daffodil. They called him Daffy, which was short. And she's like, "It was short for Daffodil." It was it's like, like imagine that being like the coldest
1: burn for like like yeah like you know we, it's the one.
2: Like it's the one point in the movie where judy dench makes sense because it's like oh you cast judy dench to do this monologue because only judy dench could make daffodil seem like eviscerating and like yes devastating of it she's just like i'd rather have a i'd rather have a dead son than a daffodil for a son and all the while she's like trying to keep her accent back with like both hands and a you know a steel barricade, and it's really not quite working. She's sort of—is she like Boston, maybe a little bit in this movie, or is that just like the accent? Oh, ravaging? she's something. She's something. <laughs> this is a bad Judy Dench performance. I I rarely it's see a bad Judy Dench performance, and I and I don't can't entirely blame her because I'm not sure she was ever really given. It's a, dialed up to eleven
1: evil to the point where, like, you half expect Leonardo DiCaprio to run out into the street in a moo and scream, yeah
2: yeah, um, basically, but like she works on that level. She can work on like the big, you know, over the top dramatic level. But like I think this character she is makes very those muddled.
1: scenes. And like her performance is bad too. But she at least makes those scenes function in the way that they're supposed to. In the way yeah. most of the other scenes in this movie don't function as they're supposed to.
2: And it just, and it feels like Eastwood takes a lot of the scenes that deal with, like, the gayness of the character and kind of just, like, washes his hands of it and just, like, well, I got the gay screenwriter, he can deal with it, he can sort of, you know, mold this how he wants, and the scene, that Judy Dench scene where she tells the story about Daffodil, poor, you know... This boy, uh, Daff... What did I... I wrote down his name. Pincus is his last name. Daffy Pincus. Why do you need Daffy, to call though. somebody a gay slur when their name is Pincus? Indeed. But apparently, like... So the moral of that story was that the kid, like, killed himself, like, after, shortly thereafter. And that's, you know, her way of, of telling her son without telling him that, like, you better fucking keep this in the closet. And, right. And, you know, leads to even more of his kind of psychosis. One thing... I kind of appreciated about the movie was that it didn't take that like psychological step of like, because J Edgar Hoover was in the closet, that's why he like went after all these, right, exactly. Like, it's not like he went after Martin Luther King because he was a closeted, whatever. It's like, no, I think I wish the movie had gone a little farther into, and I'm not surprised Eastwood didn't go there. Um, about, the sort of racist motivations behind yeah. going after King and going after the sort of like civil rights radicals.
1: The movie feels like kind of divided in the way that it's directed in the way that it's written. Because I do think that Dustin Lance Black's script is saying, this is a bad man. Right. And like Clint Eastwood is much more ambivalent about him. And like in a certain way, it's just like, I'm not sure where Eastwood is coming from. And like, I don't necessarily want to read in my Perception, but at the same time, it's like, wait, do you do you like this man? Like, are you on Jay Edgar Hoover's side here? Like,
2: and I think you get a lot of Eastwood just being like, hey, that Lindbergh baby kidnapper, I had to get kid had to get brought to justice somehow.
1: Well, uh, yes, but then also, like, is it also maybe just a side effect of? the kind of what we are at least considering a creative laziness where it's like, well, just let this be what it is and not actually directing a certain point of view.
2: Right. And like, well, here's the just thing directing i directing
1: wanted... the script in a flat way. And like, you're dealing with tricky material here.
2: Right. Here's the thing I wanted to bring up about Clint Eastwood, actually. Actually, and thank you for bringing it up is look at his like long and very like, I mean, look at <laughs> looking at clint eastwood's filmography especially from like his kind of renaissance at mystic river his career really takes a turn at mystic river because before that it was blood work and true crime were these sort of like very like anonymous procedurally kind of movies Uh space cowboys which was like some people i remember thought it was fun but it was mostly sort of like jokey and those came after absolute power was another one of those like potboiler kind of a movies were just sort of like work a day thriller and then there was like a perfect world madison county those ones came after unforgiven but they were received somewhat um ambivalently i know Merrill was nominated for bridges in madison county but i remember just as many people that movie was kind of a of, of a butt of like jokes about boring movies for a well, while. well because you, like the recall.
1: book was just like considered to be Absolute trash, and like the movie elevates it in a way... I mean that's probably my favorite movie of his.
2: It's a lot of people we know's favorite movie it's like it's like the gay it's the gay choice for clean Eastwood movies kind of right I mean,
1: like it's one of my favorite Merrill performances, but like there's actually like a sensibility to the movie like there's a authorial like tone that feels yeah. intentional, and like the frame story like... of
2: that movie kill- kind of kills it for me a little bit. I love Merrill in it, but like the thing about What's with it? her like adult children sort of like sifting through yeah her stuff i was just like all right get away from this but like i know what you mean but i think with mystic river then all of a sudden it becomes he's making a movie every year and most of them get buzzy sort of reactions to them because mystic river and million dollar baby back to back were such big oscar hits but if you look through his filmography either recent or all told because like Clint Eastwood famously he was M- mayor of Carmel? What was he? He was... Mm? He was a politician, right? In some sort of way? Sure. Hold on. Yes.
1: Yes, right, I remember I was...
2: this. Yes, okay. So... I feel like there's... And then, of course, he like has famously spoken at like the Republican convention, he yelled at a chair, he's spoken out against Democratic politicians, that kind of thing. So, like, politics seems to be in the forefront of what we think about Clint Eastwood. But if you look through his films what kind of politics do you pull out of them i don't know i definitely pick out
1: some like patriarchal toxic masculinity stuff from a lot of movies i think it's very easy to get that from mystic river and like sometimes when it's when it's not and it feels like maybe it is at least even for the time like i'm thinking of our episode we did on midnight in the garden of good and evil it feels like it's an accident right like any well, of the right. things that we're saying about Jay Edgar that like we expect to be bad on a gay perspective that it's not like we're saying it's not as bad as it could be like it doesn't feel like it has anything to do with intention on his part
2: Well, and track the politics sort of through his movies where it's like he makes Flags of Our Fathers, which is this huge greatest generation sort of sop kind of a movie, but that's followed up immediately by Letters from Iwo Jima. And you sort of see that like this is a project that very clearly wanted to examine both sides of World War II. And it's like, okay. And then you go to something like Invictus, which takes this sort of like very political... Environment with Nelson Mandela and all this sort of thing, and turns it into a, you know, if only we could all play rugby together kind of a thing. So it like mm-hmm. flattens that out a little. J. Edgar, I think, is politically muddled. American Sniper seems on the surface to be rah rah and is adapted from a very kind of like problematic mm-hmm. source, and yet takes I a th- lot of pains to. It's not giving a rah rah American message in American Sniper, I don't think. I
1: think it's giving an Islamophobic message in the way that it's shot. If it is not necessarily scripted, though, and,
2: and I but I think that I think that's passive. I don't think it's actively that, and I could be wrong. And I right. and I would you know listen to to alternate. But I think what I'm saying is I find it very hard to find a coherent politics in Clint's movies or or a coherent political viewpoint that aligns with anything i think there's libertarian streaks i think you're right that there's like macho masculinity streaks Uh in his movies but i think those are personality more than politics i don't know i mean what what do you i don't know argue with me about this i don't know know. as a gay
1: person who it's like you know we fall like not as much as obviously other people who aren't white or as women do but like we fall victim to that too so it's like we're sensitive to it so it's hard for us to not experience it politically but like yes I mean I I do agree with you that there is like not a consistent through line of politics for his movies and that's maybe because he's working with different type of script people and I think it probably is more emblematic of like he doesn't necessarily enforce a directorial, authorial point of view in his movies. Yeah. I think it comes from that.
2: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting. And I think it's, yeah. it's just weird to see the story of this incredibly political... Like, even among people who were in this job as director of the FBI... J. Edgar Hoover is a most intensely political figure. He kept all these secret files on all the major politicians of that era. He sort of actively, he put himself actively in sort of the the river bend of history and trying to take down figures like Martin Luther King Uh and... It's Even weird. just, like, simple McCarthyism, which, like, it's it's definitely
1: interesting watching this movie today um, versus how it would have been in 2011. But, like, McCarthyism, which is seen as, like, horrible and bad. And this movie's kind of like, eh, it happened.
2: Well, but also, this movie makes a point of, of J. Edgar Hoover talking shit about McCarthy as a person. It was just like, you know, mm-hmm. Joe McCarthy was a... He said he's, like, without honor or something like that. There was something he, like, denigrated him. And, like, seemingly like, in this movie, at least, if this movie is to be believed, didn't like Nixon, didn't trust Nixon, and, like, arranged for Naomi Watts' secretary to, like, shred all of his files after his death so that Nixon couldn't get his hands on them. So, like, the movie paints him as you know, separate from two of the major Republican politicians of that era. Mm -hmm. And yet, I don't know why to what end, because it's not like it's... I don't think the movie apologizes for Hoover. I don't think it goes nearly far enough in showing the implications of what his... of the stamp, you know, the, the stamp that he put on the FBI, what that meant going forward for American history. I think yeah. the movie really lets its foot off of his neck, you know, essentially for for a lot of that stuff but it just feels mostly muddled. It just feels like Clint Eastwood and Dustin Lance Black were not the people I wanted making the movie about J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And weirdly, I think the better... Well, no, that's not... the Better is not the right word. The thing I always used to think of about J. Edgar Hoover on film before this movie was made was Nixon. J., uh, Oliver Stone's Nixon. Where J. Edgar Hoover is played by Bob Hoskins as this sort of, like indulgent libertine sort of like lounging by the pool with his like two little twinky kept boys or whatever <laughs> and like very indulgent very sort of um, awful but in this like you know decadent kind of way and like that's part and parcel of Oliver Stone's weird shit about gay people in the early 90s especially but I always thought that was somewhat grotesque and yet I think Stone does a better job of indicating some stuff about Hoover's politics and the way Hoover operated politically, where he was just sort of, you know, his own little kingdom to himself, and he, you know, could ruin people, and, and, and was sort of, like, seen as, like, a parallel to Nixon in and of that stuff. But I think of, in Nixon, the character Nixon, and the way that uh, he interacts with Joan Allen as his wife, this movie, J. Edgar made me think of that relationship, Nixon and his wife in Nixon. And then also I'm watching The Loudest Voice on Showtime, which is um, Russell Crowe playing yeah. uh, Roger Ailes. And then Sienna Miller playing his like heavily up wife, speaking of which. And both of those relationships reminded me a lot of Hoover in this, and especially like Hoover in those scenes where it seems like he and Naomi Watts are sort of striking up a personal connection and it ends up being a long-standing business mm-hmm. connection but it's this kind of long-suffering wife i think Naomi Watts's performance sort of slots into what Sienna Miller is doing in The Loudest Voice and what uh what Sienna Miller is doing in The Loudest Voice in a way that feels very um subjugated and muted and tamped down and then what I thought I much preferred, which was Joan Allen's performance in Nixon as Pat Nixon, who is playing a figure who didn't really have a voice either, but personally with with uh, Dick Nixon and some of those, like, all of those, like, clip scenes for Joan Allen that she tr- they trotted out during her Oscar campaign, which she probably should have won? I don't know. Joan Allen should have an Oscar. Maybe.
1: She should have an <laughs> Why Oscar. Why not for Nixon? And, like, Nixon has been.
2: A good enough point as any, but the thing where she's just like, you know, you want them to love you, dick, and they never will, that whole kind of thing. That's what I wanted out of Naomi Watts in this movie, and Naomi Watts does not register. Quite genuinely does almost nothing. Like, she
1: rebuts him when he takes her out on a date, and she's like, this is not what this is going to be. I am not going to be your girlfriend. This is a professional meeting. And, like, after that point, which happens maybe 15 minutes into the movie, she's literally just in scenes for the most part. Yeah. Like, perhaps yes. looking dramatic. There's a lot of, like,
2: thank you, Miss Gandhi," And it's just yeah, like, like, okay. Naomi then, like, Watts
1: showed up for that day to not say any lines, but to hold some files for Leonardo DiCaprio.
2: I felt very bad for Naomi Watts in this movie in terms of, like, why... And apparently, this was a role that was originally going to go to Charlize Theron. She left this movie to make Snow White and the Huntsman, which great choice. Snow White and the Huntsman's not a good movie, but at least she got to be the and lead of movie. And like she got
1: to, like, be that, like, campy queen having a blast. Like, she's the reason to enjoy that movie.
2: And I, I don't have any proof of this whatsoever, but I always mentally slot Charlize Theron in that movie as being essential towards her getting... Furiosa in Mad Max, just because she seems like so. She's like just from that first Snow White in the Huntsman trailer. I was like, oh, so Charlize Theron's like everything. Oh, Charlize right now. gives good trailer. Amazingly so, and in that movie, that's not a good movie, but she like she takes the reins of that movie, and you like can't look away from her and. So, like, better for her to do that movie than this, certainly. But then the role almost went to Amy Adams, which, like, I kind of laughed when I read that. And I was just like, of course it almost went to Amy Adams. Because this is, like, the quintessential, thankless Amy Adams role, right? In 2011, that, like, sometimes absolutely. she can make Sing. Right. That sometimes... Well, I mean, in 2018 in Vice, yeah. it's sort of very similar kind of thing, right? Where, like, she gets one scene where she gets to be a character, but mostly she's just sort of, like, there as the wife, yeah. right? And I think the master was very similar. She got one scene. She's essentially got nominated for that one scene in the master, right? But like mostly she's like there off to the side.
1: I disagree. And, I think she brings a certain but, energy that's essential to that movie. But we disagree on that
2: movie. I fart on that movie. And I mean, and Amy Adams sort of supplements that with a lot of very good choices as a, as in terms of picking roles, and I think Naomi Watts does not pick roles well i was sort of going <laughs> through her filmography and i was like there's a lot of like demolition sea of trees saint vincent diana even movies that like aren't bad but like what did she get out of being in the international what did she get out of being in stay yeah you know what i mean what did she get af- out of being in much as i kind of love that and i don't love the movie but like I wouldn't trade. We don't live here anymore for anything. I'm glad everybody in that movie made that movie. But like, what Laura Dern's the takeaway that from movie? that
1: movie for sure. Before absolutely. like everybody was, you know, crazy standing. Laura Dern. Laura Dern was great in that movie. Um, she ends up making like I mean, she's the most forgettable.
2: She ends up making the most forgettable Woody Allen movie. Which like I dare you to find anybody who remembers one thing about you and me to tell Dark, Dark Stranger. I. Never saw it. Or maybe I did, and I just don't remember seeing it. Like, it's one of those things.
1: There's also the, like, Emma Stone ones that are fully forgettable, too.
2: Oh, but, like, I remember seeing those at least. Oh, I, I did see seeing them. Both of those. Three Generations is so, like, problematic and troublesome. While we're young, I remember the Noah Bomback movie got a lot of positive reception when it premiered at Toronto that year, and I did not care for it. At all. Uh,
1: I have feelings about the movie that are separate from the performances, I will say. But we will get into that.
2: I don't think she's bad in it at all. I think my problem with While We're Young is it very, very much seems like the movie that Noah Baumbach made after making Francis Ha and hating all of Greta Gerwig's friends. <laughs> which I'm pretty sure is what happened. But it feels so obvious in that. It feels so obvious to be like a... Older middle-aged man dating a younger woman, making a movie in reaction to people his girlfriend's age. Like, it feels very generationally bitter in that way. And a lot of people feel like it's... In a way that's not interesting. Well, a lot of people feel like it was that, but that it also then, that the Ben Stiller character is uh, self-consciously sort of mocked and made fun of and, like, brought down, like, is kind of knocked off his pedestal for feeling that way. I don't think that. I think the movie fully like valorizes that character and that mindset. Anyway, yeah. I thought for this podcast <laughs> that what that what I would challenge us to do because it's very easy to sort of look at Naomi Watts in a movie like J Edgar in a thankless role and sort of do what I just did, which is tick off all of the like dozen or so terrible movie choices she's made since um, Mulholland Drive. But I thought instead. I want to stay on the bright side a little bit because also I love Naomi Watts. I, I I want more for her because I do love her as an actress, and I think when she's on screen, I do sort of like, you know, I. She has roles that don't
1: allow her to make interesting choices for the large part. Right. Like that's it's not. I mean, like it, it. I guess you could say it like makes sense. It, it's like it fits smoothly in the slot when she's playing these like Eastern promises non-roles that she can do very well. Yes. But at the same time, like why she is a good actress and why, like, she deserves more opportunities is that, like, it's her weird stuff that's good.
2: So I said to Chris, why don't we come up with our top five Naomi Watts performances and we can deliver them on the podcast and we can, you know, stay in a little bit of a positive space for Naomi. I always want more for her. I'm hoping that whatever is coming up ahead. Um, God, she's in that Game of Thrones prequel. That like, if it does well, will like swallow her career for the next ten yeah. years. So she's great. got a Blumhouse movie coming soon too. I it sounds love like that.
1: she could be another mom again. So it's like it could be nothing. It could be something. Who knows?
2: She's also in what is called on IMDb "Once Upon a Time in Staten Island." That's the Blumhouse she... movie. Is that the Blumhouse movie? Mm-hmm. It's her and Bobby Cannavale and. It says Frank Grillo is one of the three leads, which gives me pause. But... It's
1: it's listed as a drama, and there's like nothing in the plot beyond that it's a coming of age thing. But it's the guy, it's from the guy who did the Purge movies, the writer oh, and boy. director. So I I wonder if it actually is a drama and isn't a actually a thriller, or like, um, a, secret
2: oh, we'll yeah, like... a Secret Purge prequel, a Secret Purge. There already was
1: a Purge prequel.
2: I know, it would have to be like a pre-pre-prequel, but like, yeah. again, we were talking before we started recording about the Conjuring movies, and I feel like every movie in that series is a prequel to the one that came before now, where all of a sudden it was just like, didn't we already get an Annabelle prequel? But apparently this is like the prequel to the prequel of Annabelle. No, this like, is okay. the, like, postquel. Okay. Not I'll a word. You. It's a sequel. Um, Anyway, top five Naomi Watts performances. Let's start with your number. Let's go, like, five, five, four, four. Like yeah, 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 off. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. so
1: um, I, Naomi Watts plays a lot of moms. And, like, I, it's not, like, it's they're interchangeable, the performances, unfortunately, because the movies don't ask her to do anything interesting. But for my number five, I did actually choose one of her Oscar nominations. I think she is very good. I think it's a very interesting physical performance. I wouldn't have... Oscar nominated it that year, probably, but I chose The Impossible. I do think she's very good doing, like, f- like making something emotionally and physically real that's just, like, harrowing, but, like, I think yeah. we underscore how easy she makes it look to be real, I guess. This
2: just missed my list. This basically was my number 6. I think it's a very good pick on your behalf. I think you're right in that like it is a triumph of physical acting. I think she conveys a lot through being sort of like battered around by this yeah. by this tidal wave, the tsunami and and like there's... calibrating
1: it in a way that's not like over like it, you can imagine it would be easy to show up in like that waterlogged set basically right. and just make it absolutely
2: huge and go crazy and just scream but like I will say she gives the second best performance in that movie because the best performance Tom Holland gives the best performance is so in the movie. good. movie the scene where he sees his brothers across the way uh, and sort of goes running to them and they go running to him is so good and I watch it like every once in a while and like still tear up watching it because it's It's so good. And of course, like sibling stuff hits me the hardest, so like, it's really really... Good pick. That was a good pick. My number five is a movie that I initially was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Stupid movie. I don't like that movie. Because I really kind of don't like this movie. Um, Although I've still only seen it the once, because asking me to see it again is a commitment of my time. And that is King Kong. And initially, I rejected the movie. I rejected her in the movie. I was just like, stupid. I don't want to talk about King Kong anymore. And then I'll see it in bits and pieces. I won't ever see like the whole thing because again it's a billion hours long. But like her stuff, and then I think of like, oh right, she's not acting opposite a giant ape. She's acting opposite nothing know, weird green screen shit. And like with that in consideration, like the scene where she's like dancing around trying to like keep him from like eating her, essentially. Mm-hmm. Is really, really good in and of itself. And then you think of like what she has to play off of. And it's even better. I I fall into the trap some t- or I did at the time initially of like judging her based on the scenes on like the boat with um Adrian Brody and whatnot, and that's not that's not the way. That's to go. not the performance. That's not the performance in King Kong. The performance in King Kong is the stuff with King Kong, and she's actually quite quite impressive.
1: I will say nothing and move on to my number four. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, you obviously disagree. My number four is While We're Young. Um, I think she's the best thing about the movie. I think she's really funny. I think all of the notes that, like, you find rather annoying and I find annoying about the movie, I think she makes them interesting and funny. Um, Yeah, in a way that, like, maybe without, like, a performer as in control of what, like, the satire is in that movie, like... That movie would probably seem like it hates her mm-hmm. and like I found her to be the most relatable in that movie, but maybe I'm neurotic and insane.
2: No, I like her. I think she gives a good performance in that movie. I just the the, the conceit of that movie bothers me too much yeah. I think it's an eye roll. anyway yes all right my number four is a movie that is remembered fondly, but I don't think people ever take a moment to talk about the performances in it and that's the ring. Mm. I love I thought about the ring. putting her in there for the ring. And I think she's at, she's everything you need from her in that movie. I think it's I think it's deceptively it it looks easy to just be scared and be sort of like terrorized mm-hmm. by this. But those scenes of her watching the tape where you only get to see her face? Yeah are really, really effective and are really, really good at conveying the horror of that movie. And
1: and just, like, I, the central conceit of it, too. Because it's like, how yeah. do you play terrified but still curious and compelled? like
2: And she plays that those notes with her son in that movie as well. Where it's like, you really get the sense that she loves her son but is also on some level that maybe she doesn't even realize is unsettled by him. Yeah. And... I don't know I think she's great and yet she's also just sort of like this what you need out of a classic horror movie heroine which is that like she can take you know the job into her own hands and she goes and she's you know trying to she's copying the tape she's investigating she's you know that scene with her and Brian Cox which I think is like the best thing in the movie.
0: What did you do to her? She was your daughter. you killed Tamara, didn't you you killed her when your wife My ended. wife
2: was not supposed to have a child where she's just sort of like yelling up just like i know what you did to your daughter like that whole kind of thing i just think the movie the movie wouldn't be as reliably rewatchable without her in that yeah in that performance
1: moving on to my number three a movie i said i wouldn't get to say anything about it is king kong i think everything you were saying is absolutely true i think it is very impressive i mean like I also think of, like, the quotes of Natalie Portman, like, responding to her critics in her Star Wars performances, and she's like, I'm literally standing there surrounded by green walls. Right. Uh, and, like, I think Naomi Watts' performance in King Kong is a testament to how difficult that is, but she pulls it off in a way that, like, that movie is almost entirely reliant on her performance to sell the emotional truth of it because everything is made by computers in that movie, and you believe the whole movie. And I think... Yeah, I don't know. I I love that performance.
2: It's very good. Um, incredible feat of difficulty. Yes, agreed. All right, my number three is a movie that maybe a lot of people listening to this haven't seen, and if you haven't, I would recommend that you go see it, which is a 2009 movie from director Rodrigo Garcia called Mother and Child, Mm. in which Naomi Watts plays the uh daughter of the daughter that Annette Benning gave up for adoption when she had her at a very young age and a lot of the movie is Benning trying to find a way to track down the daughter and like at this point Watts plays this kind of somewhat not somewhat very stereotypical role of like the brittle single career woman she's an attorney and she ends up having an affair with Samuel L. Jackson. And it's a lot of stuff that, like, initially I was like, she's not going to be able to do anything with this role. It's like she's a brittle attorney. Okay. And she ends up, there's a few scenes in that movie where you really get the sort of point of the movie, the, the sort of, you know, f- what it's going after with these themes of regrets and, you know, lives not taken and uh, it parallels with Benning a lot. And then the movie has this kind of somewhat ironically tragic end and it all could feel more pat than it is. I think that's Rodrigo Garcia's problems and some of his stuff. Yeah. Is that it feels very pat and very much like an O. Henry story by the end where it's just like, oh, she sold her hair and he bought her a comb. Um, But... The performances really elevate this movie. I think Benning and Watts are both specifically very, very good.
1: Joe, I think we're going to have the same number two and number one. So should I just ask you? Yes. Is your number one Huckabee's or Mulholland Drive? My number one is Mulholland Drive. but My number one is Huckabee's.
2: Ah, I love that. I love that about us. Very good. Okay, so why don't you talk about Huckabees and I'll talk about Mahalo. uh I mean, Huckabees is pointing
1: to everything that I was saying about she is at her most interesting when she gets to be weird. I think that that performance is heartbreaking and really funny and like ultimately so very funny. much in service to everything strange that david o russell is going for in that movie like obviously Mm -hmm. we we feel a certain way about david o russell we hate david o russell it's fine but like i love that movie and i I specifically love her in it um i don't think she's really ever gotten the opportunity to do something like that again i would love to see her do something on the bizarre and that
2: is she I makes so many funny choices in that movie Like we all remember Huckabee's. It's not Huckabees I am still Huckabees Not in that bonnet It's in my
0: eyes Marty It's like that story of the cave if What in God's name is happening to you I mean, We trusted you, we took care of you We made you into a national icon Pulled you out of a mall You've been given
2: everything by Huckabees
0: Fuckabees Wow, wow Bradley
2: Which wow. yeah. like for good reason um, but like the scene where she, leading up to Fuckabees, where she shows up to film the commercial and she's like sad walking with the, with the department store bags and like, like it's the sad sort of like elephant walk kind of a thing. <laughs> it's so funny. And then like the way she like shoves Isla Fisher out of the way. She also it's has so like wonderful. the
1: most extreme thing to do in that movie, but I think she also really, um, Like brings to the forefront the like emotional sincerity of it. Like even though everything is, you know, bizarre. Like I think like she really understands what the emotional undercurrent of that movie is. Like even the like do you like me with the bonnet line is it's heartbreaking, but it's funny and like she kind of throws it away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she's absolutely great in that movie and Uh. should get that opportunity again.
2: In conclusion, Huckabees. Yes. Huckabees! It's wild that she has two Oscar nominations, and I think she should have two Oscar nominations for two completely different films, because, like, she should have one for Huckabees, and she should have one for Mulholland Drive, and I think one of the things about her career is that we still talk about her the way we talk about her. We sort of slot her in, not with the, like, A-plus elites of her generation, but, like, In a just one level below them, and I think in like an aspirational, like we want her to get to the level of Kidman and Moore and you know, Benning and those actresses who we talk about, Blanchett. But I think it's because we all expected, we all saw Mulholland Drive and was just like, all right, well, like, she's gonna get an Oscar nomination. This is like very clearly one of the performances of the year. This was 2001. And 2001 had no shortage of great Best Actress performances. This was Uh Sissy Spacek and In the Bedroom, and Nicole Kidman had her two movies, and... Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones, and then Halle Berry wins for Monsters Ball, and it's a whole thing. And, but you look at Naomi Watson, I think she's better than all of them. She's she's incredible in Mulholland Drive. And a lot of people, now that like the years have passed and she didn't get the nomination and her career has seen all of these sort of like wrong turns and dead ends. Uh And I think people now are just like, okay, well, like, but Mulholland Drive is mostly trickery and is mostly David Lynch. That's the other thing is like, she's done so well with David Lynch. Subsequent to this, people really liked her. I thought in the Twin Peaks revival a couple summers ago, and even like in Inland Empire, when she's just like voicing the rabbit, I'm just like, she's dialed in to whatever kind of like weird wavelength Lynch needs her to be. But, um, I think a lot of people try and now slight the Mulholland Drive performance as sort of, like, carnival trickery that is, oh, it's only really that one scene where she, like, where her character, the audition scene, where her character sort of, like, changes on a dime. It's and not, though. like It's not. It's that whole dinner perfect scene perfect where movie. she's watching Laura Herring and, like, about
1: to sob at any moment or possibly kill her. Uh, it's the scene where she's sob-wanking. It's, like... Uh,
2: famously... People watched Mulholland Drive for the first time, not knowing who Naomi Watts was, because this was her first role of any kind of, like, renown in America. She had been in some Australian TV and movies up until this point. But people... And the Children of the
1: Corn movie.
2: (laughs) That's funny. People thought it was two different actresses playing her character, playing Betty in the beginning of the movie, and then at the end of the movie, after they've gone through the box and she's, you know, this... You know the bitter, damaged actress. You know, failed actress that she ends up being. Um, people thought it was two different char- two different actresses playing the character because she the perform the transition the transformation is so complete and so incredibly like inside out different. She's just a different person, and I don't think that's any feat of trickery. I don't think that's a one trick yeah. pony. I feel especially like especially
1: the way that it was shot too, because like they shot all of the first half as a pilot and then they came back to make it into a movie. So yes. it's like everything in that second half, she just like showed up and did that. Yeah. Like it wasn't in, I mean, I don't know how much like they had a season planned out or anything when they shot the first part of it, but like essentially you can imagine it wasn't in the DNA of what she was doing in the first half of the movie, but yet it's still remarkably cohesive.
2: Right. Totally. Alright, I think we picked very good Naomi Watts top fives. I think we're in a very happy place with Naomi now. I would like to good.
1: leave Naomi by saying I would really like to see what she could do with Yorgos Lanthimos. <gasps> I'd love to see her in a Yorgos movie.
2: That just took my breath away. I think that's a perfect perfect combination for her. Make it happen, Hollywood. I love it. Um, Alright, let's, let's get go back, back
1: to uh, Leo, because we should probably I was gonna say, unpack the whole like if and we're going to we... talk
2: about why it had Oscar buzz, this is why. Because ultimately, the movie gets released, the reviews are very mixed. But as I said, the DiCaprio, like even the negative reviews, a lot of them single out DiCaprio for good things. And he came yeah. incredibly close to getting an Oscar nomination.
1: And like the let's get Leo an Oscar thing doesn't really get annoying until after Wolf of Wall Street happens. Yes. So it's like there was still a lot of goodwill. But like he, he got... All of the three major precursors for this movie, and it's Damien Bashir that got probably that slot. I would say, is there anybody else that? It's like, actually wasn't it's Gary. It's, it's Gary, Gary Oldman because oh, okay. Bashir
2: at least had the SAG. action. yeah. It's Gary Oldman who had been like buzzed before that movie came out, and then Tinker and it was Taylor a late happens. Arrival. Tinker Taylor shows up, and everybody like respects it, but nobody loves it because nobody really like understood it, and. Um so everybody was like oh and it's oldman and the academy at that point the the party line was that the academy hates Gary Oldman because he had like didn't get nominated for the contender and there were a couple other ones where he had gotten buzzed for and it's like oh people in hollywood don't like him he's surly he's like unpleasant on sets and he's sure. not uh and so whatever and so everybody was like well that it's not going to be Gary Oldman because like they would have to be like you'd have to have like an undeniable case to get Gary Oldman nominated, was the sense at the time. And then all of a sudden they're like, nope, we like it. Gary Oldman. Tinker Taylor. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. And I think a lot of people after the SAG nomination thought Bashir would fall away, but mm-hmm. he didn't. That They, they yeah. thought that was going to be one of those weird Sarah Silverman SAG, although Sarah Silverman hadn't happened yet, but like those weird flyer SAG nominations that like don't repeat at Oscar, and like Bashir did. And then Gary Oldman did, and so 2011 was the year that like DiCaprio didn't get nominated, and also Michael Fassbender didn't get nominated for Shame, which mm-hmm. was another one that a lot of people thought was going to resurface at Oscar and didn't. But I don't and think he
1: did. He even get a Globe nomination for that. Like he that did. was a I'm thing. pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah,
2: Um because it was him and Tilda for. We need to talk about Kevin. That both got Globe nominations. So and yes. I was like, ah, yes, my two favorite performances, and then they didn't, they didn't recur. So I wanted to talk about because you mentioned. The Globe and the SAG, it's very rare. Critics' Choice, I didn't end up looking up, so like, let's set that aside for the moment. Also, I don't respect the Critics' Choice Awards, so we'll deal and with them. Less Separated. and less. Yeah. Um, but it's always interesting to me that a Globe nominee... For a drama category, actor in a drama, because dramas are much more congruent with Oscar than with comedies, right? Yes. Um, a Globe nominee for drama and a subsequent SAG nomination, and then not getting an Oscar nomination has only happened six times in Best Actor. So, this is my little mini game for you. I said I, I was oh, going to do a mini game. This is going to be six hard. times ever. So, now of course, the SAG awards have only been going on since two thousand or since right. nineteen ninety four. So, like, it's not you not going to oh, make man, you go back. Oh man,
1: this is going to be hard.
2: Okay. I'll give you the years that it happened, okay? 2005, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. So, like, four years in a row it happened. They have to get SAG and Golden Globe drama. Okay. And then the most recent year it happened was 2017. So, or sorry, 2018, last year. Last year.
1: Um,. I should just jump right to last year, but I'm gonna guess that one
2: of them is Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips. Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips, 2013. Okay. That is one of the six. Um, last year, oh, and year was... one of them. Wait, one of them is DiCaprio, so we can knock that off your list too.
1: Okay, but it's not. Um, but it's not J. Edgar.
2: No, it is J. Edgar. Okay,
1: J. Edgar. Um, right. last year was John David Washington.
2: Yes, for Black Klansmen, Very good.
1: Okay, what are the other years?
2: 2014, 2012, and 2005. 2014, what was the 2014 year? I will say of these three, one of them is an Oscar winner for something else. In that year? No, no. But one of them is an Oscar winning actor. Two of them, the other two have one nomination apiece. Obviously none for these roles, because these the whole thing is that they didn't get Oscar nominated. 2014,
1: what year? That's the Birdman year.
2: It is the Birdman year.
1: Was it? Was it Jake Gyllenhaal?
2: Yes. Okay. For Nightcrawler.
1: For Nightcrawler, yes. All right. Let's go back. Just go backwards in the years. I'm going to try to get them
2: year by year. 2012. This movie has been very much forgotten. Oh, okay.
1: What, this
2: yeah. actor didn't get the Oscar nomination, but a co-star did. Okay. A lead male
1: co-star. Not a male. Nomination. No. Oh okay so a, a woman got nominated for this movie. Yes. 2012 that is Argo. Yes. Who This was
2: a out? This was a Sundance movie.
1: The Sessions.
2: John Hawks. The Sessions, Hawks. John Hawks. Yes. Good movie. Do you ever think about that movie? I do. Do you? I never But do.
1: I I was definitely way more positive on that movie. Like that might have even been in my top ten that year. Oh
2: wow, okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Good for you. Alright, um, so now 2005.
1: Vico Mortensen?
2: No. What are you thinking of? Eastern Promises?
1: No, I'm thinking of uh, History of Violence. Yeah. History no. of Violence. He
2: didn't get not that's a good guess, but he wasn't nominated for, I don't think, either SAG or uh Golden Globe. This was a very um Early buzz, like one of the top early buzz movies, and only ended up getting a supporting nomination
1: for male or female, for actor or actress.
2: Supporting actor. I
1: mean, that's Cinderella, man, but it can't be Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. They nominated him for
2: that. Yep. Both of them. Sag, Sag nominated Crowe and Giamatti, and Giamatti won. The SAG, I'm pretty sure.
1: Oh, I mean, like Paul Giamatti's great, but that that just speaks to how like Russell Crowe was like in the elite at that time. But that but was like, still
2: that that was the tail end of it. That's like, a weird he was,
1: nomination. I it is a weird mm, nomination because I almost said Ray Fiennes, but who, Cinderella like, Man fully should have gotten further than he did. Cinderella Man
2: had that pocket of like. No, you guys are being too hard on Cinderella, man. It's really good. It's like meat and potatoes. It's whatever. That's sort of like, um. It's entertaining. Paul Giamatti's amazing. He's very good. I don't know if I would call it entertaining, but okay. Um, I will give you that. Anyway, well done. You did better that's that all than I I would have. Yeah, that's all of them. I thought that'd be so a little only bit six. harder. Only six people, uh, actors who were nominated for Globe Drama and SAG did not get an Oscar nomination. So I the thought Michael easy Douglas way to figure
1: that out. For me, and my thought process was who was actually nominated that year. Yeah, and that yeah. Narrowed yeah. it down pretty easily.
2: Very well done. All right. Um, other miscellaneous... do we have? Uh, sorry, do you, we
1: have any words on Army Hammer? Because Army Hammer was also SAG nominated for this movie.
2: It's interesting how often Army Hammer has been adjacent to Oscar success, not to get it. Like I feel like this was the start. Because like, well, not this wasn't the start. Because the start is social network he gets like he debuts in a near best picture winner certainly a you know uh social network was kind of the people's choice that year right like that was the um or at least the critics choice people really really loved the social network and because he debuted in that in such an auspicious way playing identical twins everybody's going to remember that always that he's always going to have a little bit of oscar adjacency to him right and then from that he's in this gets the um gets the the sag nomination for this movie which was wild because at that point the movie had come out people didn't really like it and people hated the makeup so much and the makeup on Army Hammer so much that that nomination was pretty well laughed off right yeah
1: talking um, about Army Hammers like awards trajectory is kind of interesting to me, like, in the way that you point out, like, he's on the fringes of stuff. I'll it's be really curious to see what his first nomination comes for, because like, he does do, like, weird things. Like, he almost, he was close to my ballot for Sorry to Bother
2: You last year, he's, but it's just so insane. Right. he's so good in Sorry to Bother You. I want to do this chronologically though. So, Jay Edgar happens in 2011, and it feels like, oh, his career is almost over before it begins, because, like, it's such a poorly received performance. And because it got that nomination, I think people were all doubly hard on it because they were like, fuck this. And the problem with Army Hammer is he looks so much like what you would create in a lab for movie star yeah. that people reject it because it's it looks like it's being too perfectly packaged for us, and you want to, you don't want to seem like a Rube. You don't want to seem easily marketed to so you're just sort of just like no fuck that get away but like no and i think he's had to work very cleverly to get around that so like mirror mirror he plays off of that really well right mm-hmm. plays off of the like remember that line in 30 rock where liz lemon is dating john ham and he's the like <laughs> beautiful idiot and everything sort of like works out for him. And at one point he's like, somebody mentions, she's like, she's like, no, people are only being nice to you because you look like a Disney prince. And he just goes, they did actually use sketches of me from my high school swim team when they were animating Prince Eric. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is what army hammer reminds me of is that kind of good looking where you're just like furious at it. And I think he plays off of that well in mirror, mirror, but then he makes the lone ranger, which is such a disaster. That is just like, man, this isn't gonna kill Johnny Depp's career, but it might kill Army Hammer's career. And then I think the big turnaround, for me at least, is The Man from Uncle. Because yes. that is a movie that everybody was like, why are they making a movie from the man from Uncle? This that movie is stupid. Is so good. Why does Guy Ritchie make the movies he makes? It's so dumb. And yet, if you watch that movie, he's great. Fucking! Um, to Bicky's Superman's great. great.
1: Vicander is even great. Everyone Vikander, is great. Everybody, movie.
2: everybody, everybody in that movie is really great. Go see the man from Uncle. Everybody, it's so good. But but Army Hammer is specifically among everybody being great. Army Hammer is specifically good and funny. And he and Vikander are a riot together. I think it's such a good performance, and it's such a fun movie. And I think that to me, single-handedly makes it possible for him to weather birth of a nation and nocturnal animals which felt like his 2016 is crazy it's birth of a nation the like disastrous thing that happened with that movie Nocturnal Animals which I think is a hateful movie although the thing about him in that movie is you can kind of forget that he's in it because so many other things are much more loudly bad. Also that like movie.
1: he's the one you can align yourself to the most because like everyone in that movie is horrible and he's the one that's like you know what you people are kind of or at least like his demeanor is like fuck this a little bit.
2: <laughs> the only thing in that movie that I like is Laura Linney and Laura Linney's wig but I agree and with you. she's in
1: the movie for 30 seconds.
2: He's also in Free Fire which is a movie that a lot of people hate. The Ben Wheatley movie, Free Fire. He's good in it, though. I think a lot of things... are. I like a lot of that movie, and I think he especially is very good. He's the one who is sort of just like, why is everybody shooting? Like, it's, There's a lot of <laughs> that. Um, I really like him a lot in it. And then, of course, that transitions to Call Me By Your Name in 2017. And then it, then it all sort of changes for him. And it's wild to me that he didn't get an Oscar nomination, even though I remember that was a weird trajectory, where he got the Indie Spirit nomination. And initially, people were like, wait a second, we all thought um, Michael Stuhlbarg was gonna get a nomination, because he's the true sort of supporting performance, right? This is a two-lead yeah. movie, essentially. It's Hammer and it's... And, like, I think it's more Chalamet's movie than Hammer's, decidedly. Like, it's easy I to say... I would say
1: Army Hammer's a supporting performance in that movie. He's I, not anywhere near being a protagonist of that movie.
2: Agreed. Agreed. But I think the the... the delineation between Hammer and Stuhlbarg is so wide that you want to be like, well, Stuhlbarg's really making the most with the least. Right. Right. So in terms of time, not in terms of like the role, I think the role and the material it gets is very good, but I think Hammer getting that initial nomination. And then all of a sudden everybody was like, well, great. Now it's just going to be army. is going to get all of this. And the pretty one does well. And the character actor gets the shaft. Right. And then neither one of them showed up for the rest of the award season And call me by your name ends up dying that sort of like, not dying, but like sort of withering on the vine. It never gets properly released. It gets that like sadly, like perfunctory best picture nomination. And then Chalamet, who everybody agrees is the best. that Best Picture nomination, which to me felt very much like the Selma nomination, which is just sort of like, here, enjoy it. like Sort of tossed off into the corner, like, have Mm -hmm. your fun. You got a Best Picture nomination. When really, that movie, to me, is so good and could have been so much more if they actually had fucking released it. But that's a whole other conversation. But I think Hammer's so good in that movie, even though a lot of people will quibble with the casting of it, that he reads as too old, and that the age disparity between the two of them reads too problematic, which I don't Really agree with, but I can see like I get why people yeah. Army Hammer is like considered for roles anywhere
1: from the ages of like twenty two to forty, right? Yeah,
2: it's 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 kind of true. It's very kind of true.
1: In some ways, it allows him to be as like weird as he
2: gets to be. I think that is true, and it's part of the reason why I almost it's one of the many reasons why I don't want them to make a sequel to Call Me by Your Name. Is I don't want to see what else happened with oliver i think that character the fact that that character only shows up at the end as a voice on the other end of the phone is the right call because we cannot see him outside of that environment i can't see him in america i can't i can't put that image in front of me because he has to be theoretical at that point right anyway Sorry to bother you. Talk about sorry to (laughs) bother you. He plays this perfect kind of affable billionaire lunatic monster where it's like you get watching him why these billionaire lunatics get away with what they get away with. If cocaine was like... (laughs) If you dropped some
1: cocaine into like a by like a biohazard waste sludge yeah. it would like materialize like the villain from T2 <laughs> out of this sludge to be a walking
2: cocaine person that is his performance and sorry yes. to bother you yes he's great if he had gotten nominated last year for that i would have been fully on board with that i think that would have been absolutely justified
1: I mean, if he had been nominated for that, it'd be like, "This is it, guys! This is the revolution. We can make anything happen because cocaine." The performance has been nominated. Um, never gonna happen. A performance like that is never oh, be nominated.
2: No, I think I, I think that movie was too much. I think a lot of a lot of aspects of that movie were worthy of Oscar nominations, but none of it was ever going to happen because it's very much. Uh, not it's it's interesting that like that movie didn't happen and Black Klansmen very much did and I think the the disparity of them without even getting into Boots Riley sort of like vocally vocally opposing the message of Black Klansmen which I think is interesting and probably worthy of a podcast episode in and of itself that is not this podcast right but, there's um, also a
1: certain aspect of it too that like that movie calls out the history of cinema um, yeah that I think made Black Klansmen happen as well um but i know we're running a little bit long but i would like to talk a little bit about our favorite the aarp movies for grown-ups awards do it guess what this was nominated for for jay edgar of course they nominated oh. judy dench for supporting actress God bless um, it. was that they, they, the only you, nomination
2: it got uh
1: yes it was <laughs> um, <laughs> judy dench though is a perennial um movies for grown-ups nominee beyond even the oscar she has been nominated 11 times One was the shared uh, Best Grown-Up Love Story with her and Bill Nye for Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Oh, I love that. I love that the AARP Movies for Grown-Ups Awards are like the septuagenarian MTV Movie Awards. Yes! That they have categories like this. Like, you need to... Like, Best Grown-Up Love Story. Love it. Like, Best Intergenerational um, Story or whatever they have. But I... Um otherwise, Judy Dench has, if we have enough time, she has ten performance. At nominations. this point, honestly,
2: we've probably gone so far along
1: that it's just like fuck it, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you it. can cut out whatever you want to cut That's out no, Whatever, That's fine. But she's been nominated for ten performances by the AARP <laughs> movies for grown ups awards.
2: All right. Let I'm me not try gonna this. make you guess all ten of them. Just give me what the no, give me what the earliest year is and I'm gonna give it sh- give it a shot. It's from two
1: thousand two on. What I would like you to do she has won three times. You Wait. need to name the times that she has won.
2: I'm going to try and for all ten. Okay, so I'll, okay. hold on a second. All right, is See it... if
1: you can get the performances nominated, and maybe we'll say the winners.
2: Alright, Iris? Iris, yes. Best Exotic Marigold won. Yes. Notes on a Scandal. Yes. Awesome. Good for you. Movies for grown <laughs> Awards. I love you. That's fantastic. <laughs> Here she is! <laughs> Here she is, grown ups. Yeah, I love it. Um, all right, Den she And one of them is Jay Edgar, obviously. J. So Edgar, that's yeah. 4 out of 10. Um, are any of those a win yet? Is Iris a win? No. All right. That's fine. That's good. Um, did she get a nomination for Skyfall? No. She's
1: great in Skyfall. I'm say, I'm going to say for the most part it's about to get difficult.
2: <laughs> you... Oh, what was the what was the Shakespeare one last year? I can't remember the title of it. All is true. All is true. Right. I remember that being like a thing where it's like, that movie hasn't happened yet. And maybe it'll never will.
1: It got a um, qualifying release. Like, it's the first movie that feels like in years had a qualifier release. And <laughs> um, then they uh, actually released it in May.
2: Here's <laughs> one that I think she might have won. Is Philomena?
1: Philomena? And yes, that is one of her three wins.
2: All right. That's a very, like, very you much. have. A Movies for Grown Ups. You have four more movies
1: that okay. she was nominated for. Two
2: of them she won.
1: You might have already said them, I'm not going to say. Oh. But can you get the four nominations?
2: Okay. alright, let's see. Um is one of them like one of those weird like movies that doesn't really exist, like Ladies in Lavender.
1: Is that your guess? Yes. Ladies in Lavender, she was nominated for Ladies in Lavender. I love it. I love
2: it. Um <laughs> Mrs. Henderson presents
1: no no no. The no rare
2: oscar but no uh movies for goodness. the to three goodness, words, words,
1: words. I, I will give you this hint to just move things along the three that you still have left to guess she was not nominated for an oscar
2: for jane Eyre. no okay um they're all best actress Vict- Wait, victoria and abdul victoria and abdul yes okay right because she uh, was she came close uh but she did not get for victoria and abdul hate all that right that movie um, not Murder on the Orient Express, please tell me now. No. Is it second best Exotic Miragold? No. Okay. Is it, I'm missing what, two?
1: Two. Uh, one of these was at least an Oscar nominee for a different performance. The other one was a Miramax movie that did not get nominated for anything.
2: Is the one with a nominated other performance in the same category that she would have been in? Yes. Nine. Live for Italia! Nine.
1: She was nominated for nine. Go up there and live for Italy. Live for Italia.
2: Nine. She was nominated for Demanding a Lie for Italia. So I'm missing one. Yes. Genre. Uh,
1: period. Comedy? They nominated her in Best Actress, and I don't think this is a lead performance, if I remember correctly. Movies is it- from 2002.
2: The Importance of Being Earnest.
1: The Importance of Being Earnest. Yeah,
2: she's not the lead in that, I'm pretty sure. It's Reese, right?
1: Or uh, uh, Yes, and Frances O'Connor, I think? Yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so from those, you already guessed Philomena. What are the other two movies that she won the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Award for?
2: I want it to be Best Exotic Marigold, but I don't think it Best is. Best Exotic Marigold! Really? Yes. I love that. I so love them her so much. So what is her other win? Is it Notes on a Scandal?
1: No, if you're if uh, this i remember our recent history was it not all is true she won for all is true that's wild her three aarp wins are the best exotic i don't remember that because i couldn't watch it true
2: yeah mother effort that's amazing god bless you judy dench we love you god bless you aarp god bless you aarp that's true that's true. The true but
1: Judy Dench standard. You've
2: truly us. kept a standard that we can only um, hope to live up to. Alright, any last thoughts on Jay Edgar before we move on to the IMDb game?
1: No, I don't have a J. Edgar thought. I do have a this head Oscar Buzz thought related to this Oscar year, and that like it feels like maybe the only like true This Head Oscar Buzz title that I can think of that got a best picture nomination. This is the year that extremely loud and incredibly close got that yes. Best Picture nomination if you go back and first of all you should watch the this Oscar nomination announcement because Jennifer Lawrence is the celebrity to announce with the like Oscar person which was Tom Sherrick that year um, she's a full robot The whole time. And it's probably because this is five in the morning and she is sustaining on, like, I don't know, four iced Americanos
2: or something. And this Um, was the great big surprise, like, graphic design achievement of the year.
1: Yes, the graphic design when they were doing the best picture lineup fully made you think that it was going to be eight nominees because this is the year they went from 10 to like, it could be anything from five to 10. So it's the first year of going in, not knowing how many movies would be nominated. Yeah. And when you watch it, the graphic is like, Oh, okay. So there's going to be eight nominees. There and then four
2: slots on one side and four slots on, four the, other, on the other. And, and, sym- and symmetry and then, de- uh, declared that it would be eight.
1: Yes. And you, like we knew like, whatever they got to the eighth title and then Jennifer Lawrence is like, and extremely loud and incredibly close. And it comes down the middle. People gasp in the audience. I'm Uh pretty sure one of them fully died of shock. Like, died. This might have um, been
2: also the first year that they were like, we're not going to read them in alphabetical order. We're going to read them in whatever order we want to. And I yes. fully believe it's because of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close that they exactly. wanted that to be They did that the design, shock design moment.
1: because they knew that this nomination was shocking and they fully milked it. And it yep. is hilarious to rewatch. It's, it's also yeah. hilarious to rewatch and listen to Tom Sherrick utterly butcher Michelle Hosanna name. <laughs> it's like... <sighs> It's like it's like the vocal representation of somebody who's going to jump off a diving board and hesitates at the right <laughs> moment to land flat on their face on the diving board. It's yeah. like ha, hazavana Cheesius. I think he literally says cheese at some point. <laughs> and then the next category, he's nominated again, and Jennifer Lawrence just like aces it.
2: Aces it. Oh, I love it. But then
1: screws up Asgar for Hadi's name. Um, <sighs> wow, so yes, can't have everything. this, this is the year that we have a best picture. This had Oscar buzz nominee. It's true. That's the first like, time. In by history. all right. This, that movie belongs in, it'll in be a great conversation. echelon, but does not.
2: <clears throat> yeah. qualify. All right. I'm going to go through my notes and just throw out stuff. I didn't mention. Um, I laughed out loud when burn notice showed up as Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> right, like that's a, not, that's, that's a laugh out loud moment. I, had I will confess, that that
1: I, I laughed out loud when Judy Dent showed up because I forgot that she was supposed <laughs> to be in this movie.
2: I thought it was interesting the way I will say I will give Clint Eastwood a little bit of credit. The scene where Hoover meets Shirley Temple, that oh, is filmed God. in that sort of like weird like Technicolor post colorization kind of style, that very washed out, where like everything seems slightly bluish. I thought that was kind of a neat little touch. Um. Adam Driver, I mentioned, with his gas-pumping accent is very, you know, it reminded me, I, re- I referenced this sketch a lot, but the SNL sketch with Jake Gyllenhaal, which was surely a John Mulaney sketch because he's talked about this in his stand-up, about people taking an acting class for how to appear in one scene in Law & Order, where he's just, <laughs> like, aggressively loading boxes into the back of a truck and being like, yeah, I remember, I saw that guy, like, that kind of stuff. It reminded me very much of, of Adam Driver, a lot of business in that. Um... Claire Danes almost played the Naomi Watts role in this, and I can only imagine the trauma that would have visited upon <laughs> all of us of a certain generation to have seen Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes reunite on screen in J. Edgar under that makeup for that those roles Yikes. would have been horrifying. Also, I can only
1: imagine the trauma upon our listeners of like another Claire Danes movie. Nope, nope, we are done here.
2: One more piece of trivia and then one more actual criticism. The trivia is that Francis Ford Coppola had wanted, had been wanting to make a J. Edgar Hoover movie for years and years and years. And the IMDb trivia thing goes, but he made up after making Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I was just like, yeah, that, that tracks. I was, he's like, yeah. I've already made my movie about a heavily makeup monster. Like, I don't need to make another. I'm yeah. totally good. I've um, already
1: made my gay extravaganza.
2: <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. The criticism is the movie ends in the most disgusting way possible where yeah. it's Tolson the the army hammer character after Hoover has died and after Naomi Watts is shredding all of the files we see that Tolson has kept as almost like a memento the FBI file for Eleanor Roosevelt, who we had seen earlier in the movie, Hoover sort of like mocking for being for having an affair with a woman. That was the dirt they had on her. Was that she was having an affair with a woman and he was sort of like laughing at Old Horseface or whatever. And then so at the end of the movie happens and we get this voiceover from Hoover who is reading what turns out to be like a line of poetry that Roosevelt's girlfriend had either written or like given to her it's like it's a it's a like like it's a line of poetry that meant something between these two women and we see Army hammer reading it from the fbi file and hearing it voiced over by hoover as a sort of romantic coda to end the movie and i'm like that is some gross ass wild ass shit i don't know what you thought about that but like i was off put by
1: I mean at that point that. I was like just get this out of my freaking blue it's Ray
2: a weird way now. to end it but it's also infuriating so yeah. like fuck everything for that so yes that's the end of what I feel about J Edgar Oi. do
1: we want to Edgar game? IMDb game. Of course we want to do that. Would you like to explain the IMDb game for our listeners?
2: Sure. It's a game. We play it. It's with the IMDb. Um, We each look up actors on IMDb and we quiz each other to name the four movies that are listed under their known for section. So this is what the IMDb algorithm and all its vagaries and intricacies uh, has decided are the four movies that we would most know these actors for. If it's for television work or voiceover work, we mention that to the other just to be sporting about it otherwise you get two wrong guesses and then after two strikes you get uh, the years as a hint and if you still can't get it it becomes hintapalooza because that is more fun than frustrated co-hosts trying to guess and we try to stay away from actors who are heavily into the marvel cinematic universe and harry potter because those movies tend to clog up those actors IMDBs Not always, you lovely listeners who like to point out to us that we're wrong, um, <laughs> but often. We love you. I'm sure David Thewlis' is full of Orders of the Phoenix and whatnot, so I'm just going to say that.
1: Fantastic. Chris. Would you like to guess or give first?
2: Why don't I give first? Why don't I do okay. that? All right, so... Going through, it was just, I was just like, let's pick an actor from a Clint Eastwood movie. And I'm like, I have everybody to choose from. <laughs> and who I ended up choosing from was the non-nominated actor from Mystic River, who it seemed initially was going to be a much bigger part of that movie than it was. He's actually a decent part of the movie. It's just he was not at all pushed for awards in the slightest, which is Kevin Bacon.
1: Yeah, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon.
2: Um, of all the movies Kevin Bacon famous for being in so many movies with so many co-stars that they made a parlor game about him called 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon, which I played I with my friends in high school like during class I was the biggest nerd but like <laughs> that was like my thing in high school where we were just like Joe can't get stumped for this game like watch him I was like a little like sideshow freak. I love it.
1: Um, I feel like Kevin Bacon'll be easy. Um, I'll I'll start with Mystic River. Correct. Okay, Mystic River. Footloose? Correct. Um uh, Wild Things.
2: Incorrect. Strike
1: one. Uh not enough gay people on IMDb. Weirdly um,
2: his penis does list Wild Things as his yeah. number 1 credit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Kevin Bacon isn't there, but Kevin Bacon's penis is there. Yeah. Um okay. Uh Um wait, I mean he's got so many like he shows up in a lot of movies that like I know are not there, like uh uh what
2: Stir of Echoes? No, that's an interesting guess. That's Uh, maybe Oh Mm. Stir of Echoes was the movie that was released like the week after The Sixth Sense, I remember, or like very close to The Sixth Sense in 1999. I also remember that that trailer used Paint It Black very. uh, But uh, it's also like on SX all the time. Is it really? I mean, like, I know that as like a cable staple
1: movie. Doesn't
2: Ileana Douglas play like the woman who does the like trance? Psychic or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, but no, not Stir of Echoes. So that's two strikes. So your missing years are 2000 and 2004. Okay, so the one that I was like, No,
1: why did I say that is not there? I was almost like, wait Apollo thirteen. Um No, not Apollo thirteen. You said two thousand four and what? Two thousand. Two thousand is Hollow Man.
2: Yes, very good. Oscar nominee for visual effects. Uh
1: <sighs> two thousand Lost
2: to What would it have lost to in two thousand? Um visual effects. Was What Lies Beneath nominated? I think it might have. Hold on. Uh,
1: No, 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 no. I I remember that summer pretty vividly. I think it was nominated against Perfect Storm and Gladiator. Oh, and Gladiator. Gladiator won.
2: Yeah, it was Gladiator, Perfect Storm, Hollow Man, and yeah, Gladiator won. For visual effects, I think that's a dumb win. I'm sorry. Yeah. Were the visual effects in Gladiator that A, important to the movie, and B, impressive? Probably not.
1: I think it's that type of thing where it's like they were visual effects that were impressive because you didn't notice they were there. Yeah. But yeah. also, it's a best picture nominee nominated right. in that category. Right. Um, okay. So 2004. Um, it's after his uncredited role in In the Cut. Shout out to our In the Cut episode. Yeah. Um, I'm at a loss.
2: It's a this had Oscar buzz movie.
1: Okay he specifically
2: had a lot of buzz he got nominated for a bunch of things he was Mm. a it has to be like is it the woodsman it is the woodsman he was a spirit award nominee um
1: the young that's the only thing i can really attach oscar buzz to for him did you know that lee daniels produced the woodsman I think I tangentially knew that.
2: I did not know that. The director of that got a Best First Feature nomination at the Spirit Awards, Nicole Cassell. And since then, she has directed seemingly primarily TV. I don't know if she's done a feature film. God, we treat women directors so badly. Um, She made a movie called A Little Bit of Heaven in 2011. That's her only other. Oh my God, that's the Kate Hudson, Gael Garcia Bernal movie wild Uh, remember I only know that from like the poster of like Kate Hudson like staring intensely into the camera (laughs) you can watch it on prime video if you want to I always like scroll past it yes anyway all right so mine
1: I did not go the Clint Eastwood route I went the Oscar route um Uh your um challenger um please 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 be considerate and don't make her drink
2: alone this year's Oscar winner Octavia Spencer Oh, my God. All right. It's too soon for it to be Ma, but also it should be Ma.
1: But I'm sure it yet. will eventually be Ma, but maybe not. If we can't, if gay people can't get Kevin Bacon's penis on his known for, perhaps we won't be able to get Ma up there. It's not that successful of a movie. <sighs> that sucks. I, I will really... not count that as a wrong answer, though. You no, it's not a guess. It, I did not but, yeah, guess that. Yeah. Yeah, um, you did not guess that.
2: The Help. The Help. Oscar Wynn. Hidden Figures.
1: Hidden Figures, Oscar nomination.
2: I'm just going to keep going with it. Um, shape of Water?
1: No, The Shape of Water is not there for Octavia Spencer.
2: All right, all right. So Which, like, on. is
1: a little strange because she has to be, like, second build in that movie, right? Maybe she's third build.
2: Yeah, I feel like Michael Shannon's probably build pretty high and, and Jenkins. But, yeah, she might be second build. Um. All right, Octavia Spencer... Is it the um, the one from the Divergent series that she's in?
1: Oh, God, I forgot that she was in that series, but So no. apparently not.
2: Okay. <laughs> Notedly with Naomi Watts. All right, so that's too wrong. Wait, no. Yes, because they got Shape like, of Water wrong. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, that's too. We're going to have to unpack those Divergent movies at some point. I think in like 10 years, it is yeah. going to be even stranger of an artifact yeah. for all the people that... Signed up for that shit. Um, okay, so your two movies are 2013
2: and 2017. 2013 is Fruitvale Station. I should have guessed that. Yes, it is. Fruitvale okay. Station. 2017, which is the same year as Shape of Water.
1: This is the reason why I went with Octavia Spencer here because I laughed.
2: Oh, no. So it's a supporting performance? It's I mean, deeply, it's, a, it's, it's,
1: it's, I I genuinely don't know, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's unfair to Octavia Spencer that this movie is here, even though she is wonderfully, like, you know, effusive about all of her projects.
2: Is it the one where it's her and Chris Evans and the, the uh, whatever, the little girl?
1: Gifted. No, it is not gifted. Oh,
2: I kind I got it. All
1: right. Her character name—I don't know how this happened—but her character name is Papa.
2: Oh, P A P A. It's she plays God. Um, it's the one about the the shed where God lives, and every time <laughs> the, the guy shack. goes in, it is that? the shack. The
1: shack. Yeah. See, I didn't even know that she plays God. I mean, yes. maybe I should respect. I'm movie pretty more sure. At because... least
2: I only saw the trailer, but I'm pretty sure what it is is it's like. Who is the guy? It's um, is uh, it like it's, it's the Avatar guy? It's him sure of course it is I was gonna say I was gonna say what's his face from the mist Um, Uh, Thomas Jane Thomas Jane but you're right no it's it's Sam Worthington and like he I think his daughter or his wife dies and yeah, it's, it's he like story. he's i think it's one of these movies where he's just like god doesn't exist and then the universe is like ah but doesn't the be? universe is like yes but go to this shack yes where god lives exactly and like god appears as like different i think different people each time maybe so it's sort of collateral beauty is
1: octavia spencer in how
2: was octavia spencer by the way not in collateral beauty
1: I don't know. It really like, feels
2: like she should have been.
1: I mean, like, 45 minutes was cut out of that movie last minute, so maybe she was.
2: <laughs> the the logline for The Shack is, a grieving man receives, receives a mysterious personal invitation to meet with God at a place called The Shack. Alright.
1: Sounds like a dive bar.
2: The Shack kind of seems like a competitor to Ma's, but, like, where all the good or people like, go.
1: Or, like, seeing... Uh, yeah, it is kind of like the anti-Ma.
2: What if The Shack like is down the road from maz and like
1: that's a sequel don't make me pray alone (laughs) don't make me
2: pray alone yeah basically don't make me grieve alone was the tagline for the shack so anyway well done well picked chris that was challenging
1: thank you um i guess that is our episode probably this is probably our longest episode hooray for us good for Um, us but that is our episode. If you want this more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, please tell the listeners where they can find more of you.
2: Sure. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd as Joe Reed spelled the exact same way. Also, you can find me if you're into TV. Uh, go to primetimer.com. I am the managing editor of that place.
1: Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at Chris v File. that's F-E-I-L, also Letterboxd under the same name. I have a running This Head Oscar Buzz list with all of our This Head Oscar Buzz titles and direct links to episodes and IMDb game stats. You can also find me at The Film Experience. We would, as always, like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevious for their technical guidance. Please, please, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, five-star reviews are really, really Helpful for us with i uh, with uh, not iTunes Apple Podcast visibility. So please, for the love of God, tell Tom Stern to turn on a fucking light around here so we can get more listeners to see us in Mama's dress. Um, that's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.